Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com. Captain Timothy Rogers, Ph.D., clinical psychologist, United States Air Force, giving a talk entitled Understanding the Role of Gender, Family, and Spirituality in Trauma Treatment, sponsored by the Psychology, Sociology, and Social Work Department at Franciscan University of Steubenville. Uh, to just to kind of set the context for today's talk on understanding the role of gender, family, and spirituality in trauma treatment, uh, in terms of the gender issues, you know, one of the interests that I have had um, in uh, working is uh, focusing on the area of the psychology of men uh, and uh, male issues in, in treatment. So in terms of my presentation today and some of the gender issues, I'm going to focus uh, a little bit more on uh, the male side of things, but also we'll uh, highlight and talk about some things just in general uh, from the female perspective as well, uh, things to consider and contemplate when uh, working with folks who have experienced trauma. Okay. And at the end, definitely have time for questions. So uh, in the military, uh, a standard brief, we always start off by saying, what are we going to cover? Okay. So there's a few things that I'd like to just to start with in terms of just going over a little bit of terms so we can understand, you know, what are we talking about when we discuss gender, uh, when we talk about spirituality, uh, what does all that mean? Um, then we're going to uh, focus more on just uh, some gender issues and treatment uh, as well as in family issues and then finally kind of wrapping up talking about some spirituality concerns uh, and things that emerge when working with folks who have trauma, okay? So moving right along. So in definition of terms, you know, in trauma, uh, trauma is a pretty broad term from a medical perspective, so we're not talking about today any uh, physical trauma, we're talking more about the psychological impact of trauma. And really when we talk about trauma, according to our diagnostic manual, okay, the DSM-5 now, uh, it really talks about three core experiences, being either uh, uh, actual death or threatened death, uh, where there a person experiences a physical uh, serious injury or uh, sexual violence. Okay, so really when we're talking about trauma, we're talking about those types of scenarios. And then when we come to gender, uh, really what we're talking about is behavioral, cultural, psychological things uh, that are typically associated with one sex, either male or female. Okay, and spirituality, broadly speaking, is just really talking about a state of being concerned with either religion or just uh, religious issues in general. Okay. So one of the things uh, in terms of the area of gender studies, as particularly with men, one of the pro predominant paradigms is this male gender role socialization. And it really encompasses uh, a few different components. It looks at things such as uh, Bandura's social learning theory, meaning, you know, as early as boys are raised, how are they reinforced to, you know, just for example, boys don't cry, uh, uh, restricting emotional expression, looking how they emerge through that developmental process, okay? And some of the key constructs within uh, this general paradigm of this general role of socialization are things such as traditional masculinity ideology, okay, and gender role conflict, all right? And it basically is talking about, you know, especially in trauma or just dealing with any kind of issue in general, that men are socialized in a way that prevents them from seeking help. Because that is not seen as a sign of strength, but oftentimes perceived as a sign of weakness. 
uh, not being stoic, not being strong, a sign that somehow they are not competent. Okay? And this is really essential in terms of working uh, with this particular population, whether it be in the military context or just working with uh, men in general. So just to expound just a little bit, just so you can kind of see in terms of some of these core concepts. So just for example, for the traditional masculine ideology, you can just kind of see some of the things that uh, comprise that in terms of core beliefs that men might have. So no sissy stuff, you know, give them hell, you know, um, uh, winning potentially at all costs, uh, emotional control, risk taking, etc. And really, in terms of the gender conflict, it's really talking about the conflict that men experience as a result of you know, adhering to some of these um, male norms, such as restrictive emotionality. So as we apply this to actually working with individuals who are experiencing trauma, how does that play out? And some things that are important to consider. Okay? And one of them is this first point, that oftentimes men are not self-referred for treatment. Okay? Meaning a lot of times that there often is somebody else, uh, whether at work, whether a significant relationship, someone is often uh, instigating them to um, go ahead and seek help, that they're recognizing a problem. Whether it be psychologically or physically, we know from the review of the literature that men will often um, uh, either not seek help or oftentimes will significantly delay seeking help until uh, a problem is quite serious. Okay? Um, and oftentimes, in terms of that seeking help, it can again uh, invoke feelings of inadequacy, uh, loss of control, weakness, a sense of dependency. Particularly in the military type setting, what we see folks is that uh, uh, when they're expected to be able to solve problems and, and be really tough, uh, that uh, somehow that's not acceptable for them to actually get this assistance because they need to be able to figure it out on their own. Okay? And really one of the core struggles that you get into is helping them to being able to identify with emotions or even being able to open up. Okay? And one of the things that's really important even in these initial stages, particularly for, for men, is uh, assessment of substance use issues. Men are a much higher risk for engaging in behaviors that would be considered self-medicating, whether that be um, through uh, substance use or potentially other means. Okay? Um, and oftentimes, in terms of the treatment approach, you know, they value um, action-oriented, you know, kind of this belief or this thought that uh, talk is cheap. So what is this really going to get for me? You know? Why should I take the time to, to open up or express anything to anyone else? Okay? And so oftentimes, especially in the beginning stages of treatment, it's very important to talk about the rationale. Why should you be coming in? What can we really do for you? Providing some basic education about you know, what are some common reactions to trauma okay? and what can a person do about it? Oftentimes, a person can actually suffer from a condition for a significant period of time before they'll actually seek help. And this is true for both males and females, often kind of a, a certain distress model, that things have to get to a point where it gets so bad that you can no longer ignore the issue or the problem, that they finally have to deal like, yes, this is really bad, I can't solve this on my own, I need help. Okay? 
The other thing that's really important to note is, is that, in particular for men, uh, they tend to underreport symptoms. Okay? So whether you're verbally assessing or whether it might be um, giving them some sort of paperwork to fill out, a lot of times they have a tendency to minimize those symptoms. So in dealing with this, you know, how do you go about addressing some of these issues and problems? Well, um, first of all, it's important to be able to provide some specific skills for even discussing emotions. So a lot of times it can be even just talking about that, providing some education about emotion or why would we go there? Okay? What's again, what's the value, what's the point behind doing this? You know, some people might feel that uh, uh, if I'm doing this, I'm, this is kind of girly or this is kind of stupid, you know. And a lot of times people, whether again, whether it be male or female, will often experience a fear of allowing themselves to express that emotion. Because a lot of times what happens with an individual who experiences trauma is, is that they're trying to avoid that experience. They're not trying to think about it. They're not trying to talk about it. You know? And in that certain sense, they kind of convince themselves that they are exerting some sort of control over this event that had happened to them in their life. But what actually happens is quite the opposite. They can't stop thinking about it, or their sleep gets disrupted about it. You know, it becomes very intrusive and uh, has a lot of adverse effects in their life. Okay. A lot of times, you know, we're making that link between what are, what are your thoughts, what are you thinking, and how does that relate to what it is that you're actually doing and the emotions. Okay. Um, underscoring the connection between talking and action. So oftentimes with patients and working with folks who've experienced trauma, it's not just, you know, um, I'm just here to, to, to listen to you, but we're having a point and a purpose behind that. And a lot of times that point and purpose is um, doing some form of exposure so that the person can better process and understand what did I go through and what do I think about that? Because when a person experiences uh, a significant trauma, okay, what we know is that has a huge impact on them. The way they view themselves, the way they view others, which can include not only intimate relationships, but family members, okay, um, and how they view the world. And that can definitely touch on their, their spirituality, okay. And, you know, uh, openly discuss different treatment options, uh, which way to go. You know, for some people, uh, they uh, might prefer uh, uh, certain methods over others, you know. Um, so it's just important just to really lay out and say, you know, what things can be helpful and beneficial for them. The other thing is being able to really reemphasize that, you know, that whole counseling experience. Why would someone open themselves, be vulnerable, and maybe even talk about, you know, some of maybe the most horrific or uh, challenging things that they've experienced in their life, okay? And one is, you know, it's a sign of wisdom, it's a sign of courage. You know, again, there's a utility behind talking about this. And this is particularly when you look at the fact that a lot of times people who have experienced trauma have re-experiencing type symptoms, okay? And by that I mean they're either experiencing repetitive, distressing, uh, intrusive thoughts or images about uh, what's gone on or related to that trauma. They may be experiencing uh, nightmares, okay? And so what happens is, is that these uh, symptoms from the trauma are often being very inconvenient 
you know, uh, just for example with the sleep issue. So when you're trying to sleep and relax, now this stuff is coming up. So proactively we're saying, okay, you know what, let's deal with this now. Let's open this when you can actually really think about it, think through what you've gone through so we can help you to better deal with what's at hand. So some things too, when we kind of more move into uh, the middle phase of, of treatment, you know, um, sometimes uh, it's important to look at um, uh, slowing people down, making sure that they actually have some of the skills that they actually need to, to process and, and to work through things. So slowing them down, not just rushing into the problem solving, but really helping them to set the stage to explore, process, and work through their trauma, you know. Um, at this point, too, it's uh, helpful to, just to work on some things such as being able to accept uh, versus just understanding emotions. Okay? People can be very judgmental about their emotional experience, particularly men. I've had men uh, in working with that are so embarrassed about expressing their emotions that during sessions they'll actually physically try to hide their face or, or cover uh, so that uh, I don't see them having a particular reaction. And the other thing is, is, is that um, dealing with issues uh, surrounding premature termination. So you provide someone some basic education, you give them some certain tools, and then what can happen? Men, much more than women, are at higher risk for premature uh, termination. So they might feel like, okay, I got it, I don't need you anymore, thanks doc, uh, I'm pressing forward, see you later, okay? So it's really important, just for example, a lot of our uh, trauma interventions and treatments, uh, they're set protocols. You know, so there might be like a series of 12 sessions, but they might at session four or five might decide, you know what, I got enough, I can just run with the ball and, and move forward without necessarily getting the whole picture about why we're trying to address everything um, that we are trying to address within uh, treatment. And finally, kind of during the, the later stages of therapy, some things to think about. Um, you know, uh, again, more for men than for women, uh, that, that abrupt determination because, you know, uh, business is done. I don't need to think about anything else. So in terms of kind of uh, relapse prevention training for folks, you know, it's not just, it's great that, you know, maybe you're no longer experiencing problematic symptoms, but it's really helping them to move forward and realize, okay, you know, what skills and tools and what steps did you take in order to get here? and to continue to be able to uh, carry that forward, okay? Uh, preemptive strike uh, by not showing up for that final appointment as a ways of exerting control. And a lot of times, more so uh, with men than with women, you'll, you'll see that. You know, if they're putting themselves in a more vulnerable position, you know, uh, they'll try to find different ways to reassert control. So maybe they're not completing the homework assignments, or maybe they're finding other ways to avoid uh, the way that you're trying to talk to them about uh, what needs to happen. Or maybe even being able to uh, downplay uh, the benefit of treatment. So again, in terms of responding to some of these challenges, what can be important is, you know, through the kind of more middle stages of treatment, being able to emphasize strengths uh, and incorporate that into treatment. You know, we can talk about how uh, general socialization is playing a part of their symptoms, okay? Um, in terms of later stage of treatment, it's more um, acknowledging the importance of self-reliance post-therapy. I mean, really the goal of treatment is not to make someone dependent upon the therapist or the treating provider, but it's really 
um, being able to teach them, provide them the skills and the tools that they need to be able to move forward. Okay, um, emphasizing your role as a provider as a facilitator, and their patient is really the agent of change. And importance of generalizing those changes. So now, as they're tackling certain issues within their family, how can they apply that to other areas of their life? In the context of uh, trauma treatment, we see this a lot. So I'll just explain it more in a military context, okay? Uh, so some of our military vets who experience uh, combat-related trauma, they have more than one incident. And a lot of times, and actually working people who have been uh, experienced trauma, whether that may be just, for example, childhood trauma or tra uh, trauma that's come through family, you know, they might have more than one incident that, uh, that they experience, okay? So in terms of treatment, a lot of times what you're doing is you're maybe focusing on uh, an event that is particularly the most distressing or most disturbing to them or most bothersome to them, okay? And you're putting them through the paces of being able to how to process that, how to work through that uh, trauma, okay, and make sense out of that. And after you work through one of those, okay, they might have, I don't know, let's just say five others, um, then you're teaching them how to now apply those same skills that you just went through uh, with those other areas that they might have been affected by in their life. Oftentimes, and this can be the case both for females and for males, that usually when they disclose an initial event, that might be um, a quote-unquote safer event for them to actually talk about and experience. So oftentimes it can be the case that as you're working with somebody and as they're talking about something, you know, and they see that maybe some of this is working, then they might open up and say, you know what, actually, um, that's really not the thing that really bothers me or keeps me up at night. There's something else. But a lot of times, both male and female, they'll sometimes test you with that. They'll give you kind of the safer, more sanitized version of something just to see how you would respond, you know, um, because they are oftentimes afraid of whether or not, you know, disclosing certain information, is it going to be too much for you to handle? And sometimes that's really uh, problematic for people who experience trauma, you know, especially if it's not connected to the family. You know, who, who do I share this with? Am I going to burden them by sharing this information? This is just tough enough for me to deal with, with this myself. Okay. Um, so one of the things uh, before uh, talking a little bit about some of the family issues, I also want to just touch base uh, a little bit more on some of the gender factors to consider as well uh, in trauma treatment. And one of those factors is actually the gender of the actual therapist itself. Okay, you know, so just for example, if a female who has experienced a sexual assault and a trauma is coming in for therapy, should that therapy be provided by a male therapist? Okay. And it's important to recognize that there's a lot of different views you know, on that and the appropriateness of it. There's some that view that uh, therapeutic contact is kind of a corrective emotional experience. And so in that sense, you know, that it could be important to be able to show a person that, you know what, uh, uh, men can be trusted, not all people are going to be exploitative in their relationships. You know, and that can be a very healing and productive way for that person to, um, to work through that. But that doesn't mean that that's always uh, the best thing for that individual.
And same thing, even if a man uh, has a, a experienced um, a traumatic event, whether that be combat related, whether it be family related, whether it might be an accident, you know, when a man gets in the room with another man, there can be that uh, gender role dynamic go on, you know. What happens if I let this guy know that um, I'm having a hard time functioning, that I can't sleep or that this event is bothering me? What if I let him know that I was raped? You know, is he going to think less of me as a man? You know, would I be able to share and really open up and, and let him know everything that's going on with me? Okay. So sometimes, you know, uh, therapy process is a social process, you know, and sometimes we really have to be aware of, you know, how those gender roles can create certain scripts, you know, between not only the patient but also as the provider as well and be mindful of that. Some of the things that are also important to consider um, in terms of family issues and trauma treatment, okay? And this first one is, is really big, um, enabling avoidance. So we talked about the fact that, you know, when a person experiences something negative or makes them anxious, they have a natural tendency to want to avoid that. And avoidance is one of the, the symptom clusters uh, in terms of the diagnosis of PTSD. You know, so avoid thinking about it, talking about it, avoiding certain situations that might uh, remind or trigger uh, them in terms of the, the traumatic event. Okay? And sometimes what do families do? You know, uh, shutting down the communication. So especially if it's been a trauma that has occurred within the family, what they could do, you know, the, the, the family secret. No, we don't talk about that. We don't talk about what happened to your brother or maybe it was like a, a family member was killed in a horrible accident. You know? We don't talk about that. Well, that's really unfortunate sometimes, you know, if they're shutting down communication because what we know from treatment is that people really do need to be able to actually talk about these things, okay? And oftentimes, in terms of enabling the, uh, the avoidance, I see rationalizing in terms of treatment noncompliance. So just for example, if uh, working with a combat vet and uh, being in large crowds make them anxious, Okay, you know, part of treatment is going to be, you know, actually having them go out where there's large crowds of people to be able to help to, to show them that, you know, the thing that is making them anxious, they don't actually really need to be afraid of that, okay? Uh, that there's something in terms of the way that they're processing that situation that they're overestimating the threat of what's going on there. But it can be very well that a spouse or family um, might not necessarily like going out in public with that person when they're stressed or trying to work through that. So it's easier for them to just allow and keep that uh, service member at home, okay? Or they might just think, you know what, hey, that person has been through so much, you, don't, you shouldn't really have to do this. You shouldn't really have to follow through with that, okay? And really can actually undermine uh, potential treatment for that. The other thing that sometimes it's important to think about is to what extent is family actually included in treatment? I'll tell you, I routinely actually have, at least you know, if they're married, a spouse or significant other, I routinely have them come in for the uh, first couple of sessions so that they're aware of and receive education about, hey, what are some common reactions to treatment, uh, to, to trauma, you know, as they're going through this process of treatment. Because sometimes, especially when a person has been avoiding uh, talking about and working through some things, as you start the process of exposure, you know, things will come up. You know? And it might look on the surface that a person is actually getting worse before they're getting better. 
And obviously for family members, that could be very disconcerting. So they might think that treatment's not working and then they'd be like, no, you shouldn't go back to that person or, you know, uh, and not continue treatment within that, okay? So oftentimes I found it very valuable to include uh, family members so that they at least know, hey, uh, what are they responding to? What is this condition? What does treatment involve? And how can we work together to ensure the best possible outcome uh, for this individual? And usually, I would say, uh, from a mental health perspective, even as a psychologist, we tend to view and just focus on the individual. Okay? But the truth is, is that we're not an island unto ourselves. Okay? So we, you know, if we're struggling, um, if we're not happy, if we're irritable, uh, does that affect other people and those around us? Absolutely it does. It affects our coworkers, it affects our friends, that it has ripple effects on our, our family and relationships. And oftentimes, in terms of providing that treatment rationale too for individuals, that can be a motivating factor for them to, um, to engage in treatment to help to, to work through that. The other thing that I would also mention is, is that they actually even have specific treatment protocols to focus on things such as PTSD for couples. And in that treatment process, it's not either individual, not the spouse, not the husband, so to speak, but it's actually the relationship itself that is the focus of treatment in terms of how things have been impacted by uh, the trauma itself. Okay? And I think that's really important and significant because a lot of times one of the um, unfortunate consequences of a, for a person experiencing trauma is that you do see a lot of uh, relationship damage that can get done. And you can see folks actually have a high rate of divorce if they're not getting uh, treatment and not uh, getting the assistance they need to sometimes work through that. So sometimes that can be a very, very valuable tool. And lastly, even from a cultural perspective, in terms of to the extent to which family members are included, you know, um, understanding family roles. So is there going to be somebody who's going to be important to incorporate and include in treatment? Okay. It might be even understanding, you know, what role does that person carry out within their family? Okay. And that might have implications in terms of that person's personality. It might have implications in terms of the way they think about things. Okay. So if they come from a family that is very stoic and has that family rule that, you know what, uh, family secrets, we don't talk about it. How's that going to translate to how they deal with things? You know, it's going to create a barrier for treatment. And it's going to be important to be able to, to work through and, and to look at that and to challenge maybe some of those uh, family beliefs that are being incorporated for them. So these are all things that we talked about in terms of you know, the clinical suggestions. So we talked about educating uh, family members about common reactions to trauma. We talked about educating them in terms of the actual treatment interventions and what does this actually entail. Particularly that, you know, as a person starts to work through the trauma and doing the exposure, that things can often um, flare up. Uh, so they realize that that's not a sign that treatment is failing. It's realizing that, hey, we're actually getting down and dealing with what needs to uh, be dealt with. Okay. And really sometimes educating family about how they can be supportive. Okay. So if you ever had to face a difficult challenge in your life, okay, one of the things that you might have realized in doing that is, is that it's not easy to do that by yourself. Okay. 
It's no less true for anybody who is experiencing or working through any type of mental health problem. Okay? And particularly with the trauma, as they're trying to confront or challenge their anxiety, it can be very important that they have that support and understanding of what it is that they're trying to do and accomplish that. Oftentimes, what I see is uh, either sometimes they're really pushing the, the person to avoid the treatment, or they might be going in the opposite direction. I've had folks who um, spouses are really pushing them to do a ton of exposure assignments, and the person is finally getting so overwhelmed to say, you know what, no, um, just let them do the homework assignment that we've given them and let them continue to, to move through and, and, and deal with that, okay? So moving into the area of, of spiritual issues and, and trauma treatment, Okay, uh, one of the things um, that can occur, uh, doesn't necessarily mean that it happens often, okay, but can be uh, acceptance within a religious community, okay. So this is really true sometimes, especially if uh, the trauma is very publicly known. And a lot of times this is more in the area of, you know, if the trauma involves some sort of uh, sexual connotation to it, that they might actually experience potentially some discrimination from their religious community. Okay, it doesn't mean that uh, that always happens, but it's just important to realize that you know if a person opens up and potentially talks about something that occurred to them, they can be very afraid of you know how am I going to be uh, perceived? How am I going to be judged or treated uh, in 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 my faith community? Are they going to see that as, as a positive thing, a negative thing, um, as someone now that they can trust or or, or work through or work with? You know, somebody who can maybe have a leadership position in their faith community now as a result of having this trauma, okay? It can also very much challenge uh, some pre-existing beliefs, okay? You know, um, quite commonly, you know, if we believe that a God is a very loving, very kind, very merciful God, and now that this trauma has happened to an individual, that can be quite upsetting and very difficult for a person to uh, work through that issue to such an extent that the person can literally um, abandon their faith and walk away. Uh, either not attending uh, you know, any type of uh, uh, faith services or just you know, from having any type of actual belief itself. Okay. And really, you know, the, the thing that's really important to realize is that spirituality is often a, um, an essential framework in, in, in terms of how a person views the world and, and makes sense out of it, okay? So as we explore a person's thoughts about the trauma and, and, and working through with that, it's, it's important to realize that not all cognitions are of the same importance, okay? And that spirituality can have and touch on some very profound notions for, for a person, okay? So it's definitely not insignificant. And sometimes, which is unfortunate, is, is that you know, this spirituality piece is not always routinely assessed um, in, in mental health practice. You know, depending upon people's views of, of a religion or spirituality in terms of its importance, you know, some people might minimize the role that spirituality has to play in a person's life. 
But I think it's really important that when you understand that that spirituality can provide a, a core framework for how a person makes sense out of their world, it's important to see, you know what, how if, um, as a result of that trauma, have any changes occurred for that person, you know? So how do we deal with this, you know, in terms of clinical recommendations, you know? We're really, you know, trying to focus on helping the patient to increase that positive social support, you know, and really including that spirituality as, as part of the treatment, okay? So oftentimes, just as we talked about, you know, that there can be significant uh, impairment in relationships as a result of trauma, well, that relationship can be with God as well. And, and how is that peace going to be addressed for that person? Okay. And this is really making sure to a certain extent, again, that we're, we're being very comprehensive in our assessment and treatment, realizing that that trauma in terms of thoughts, beliefs, can really create quite a massive ripple effect. And in terms of treatment, if we're not touching on all these different bases for a person, are we really helping them to put them on a path of uh, uh, full recovery, so to speak? Okay. Um, helping a person to understand relevant religious uh, doctrine or teaching. You know? So maybe a person might have a belief that, um, uh, that they might be holding on to that might not actually be theologically correct. You know? But that might be really important for helping to reframe something for them in terms of understanding that experience. Okay? And you know, uh, talking about uh, maybe needing to address maladaptive uh, spiritual uh, beliefs, you know, uh, God couldn't or wouldn't stop it, you know, uh, God is punishing me, you know, and sometimes just like other uh, traumas that a person might be experiencing, this might be very hard for a person to admit, especially if a person prior to their trauma was a very spiritual person, considered themselves very devout, you know, what is that like for that person to actually utter that out, that they might be upset or angry with God? You know, um, but again, it's really important for us as, as, a, uh, as a person who's providing treatment with them to be sensitive and to be aware of these issues. Okay. So just more kind of wrapping up, you know, we talked about a lot of different things. You know, we've gone over some terms. You know, we talked about uh, gender roles, uh, family, you know, spirituality. We talked about... Um, the fact especially that all these three things, gender, you know, family, spirituality, it's important to realize the common thread that they share is that they shape the ways that we interpret and make sense out of the world. Okay? Now we talked about challenges in therapy and we reviewed uh, clinical suggestions to say, you know what, despite the fact that there's these challenges, there's ways for us to be able to uh, deal with them and to help people get better and heal. Faith and Reason Podcasts, new media for the new evangelization from Franciscan University of Steubenville. Find more at faithandreason.com.